Let me tell you this. Today I want to talk about this series called Stronger Together. God really put this in my heart about, I don't know, uh, I don't know a couple months ago. That, that verse in, in, in the Psalms where David says how good and pleasant it is when God's people come together in unity and how different our world is where we're not in unity, but it makes us stronger when we are, when the body of Christ doesn't act like the rest of the world. And so I've, I've basically had about 10 or 12 subjects I wanted to squeeze into five or six weeks. And I really wanted to talk about family. So today I'm talking about having a stronger family. We're going to go one more week. And then next week we start a series on the end times. Don't miss that. Starts in two weeks. Today, how to build a stronger family. I want to tell you three things real fast. And because Pastor Matt took up some of my preaching time, I'm going to preach really fast. Elbow your neighbor and say, listen fast. Let's do this. Number one, write this down. You want to build a stronger family, encourage more. Everybody shout more. More More than you think you should. That's how much you should encourage. Pastor Craig Groeschel says, encourage more than you think you should, then double it. Okay? Now, you might think, well, you know, that's just crazy. That's weak stuff. I'm building a strong family. We don't need all that kind of frou-frou stuff. Actually, you may be right, and I've got a test. I have personally developed a test for your family to find out who in the family needs encouragement. It's patent pending, but I'm going to give it to you for free today, okay? You can test your family. The only thing is they have to be asleep when you test them. Go to a family member who's asleep, grab a small mirror or piece of glass, put it right under their nose. If it fogs up, they need encouragement. If they're breathing, they need encouragement. Somebody once said, and it became very famous, somebody once said, Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That someone was an idiot. I want to just boldly say that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Words hurt way more than sticks and stones. My little cousin that I grew up with hit me in the head one time with a driver. We didn't even know what it was. We'd never played golf in our life. We were trying to dig a hole with it, and he split my skull. I got over that like nobody's business. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. That was a joke. Anyways, I I don't have any lasting effects of that. But ugly words, nasty things that people say to you and say about you will stick with you for years and years to come. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 12 and 18, careless words stab like a sword. Words do. Now, you don't have to work at being careless with anything, and especially not with your words. It comes natural. I mentioned Pastor Steve earlier, his youngest boy, our our first boy, he's not his oldest boy, of course, his first boy was Nolan, and uh, Nolan's all grown now, but I knew him when Nolan was just a little kid, like like Bryant that I had up on the stage just a minute ago, and uh, Nolan, fiery, feisty little boy, always running his mouth, and he loved this little thing he used to do with everybody he talked to, he loved to call him doo-doo head. Six, seven-year-old kid liked to call grown-ups doo-doo head. Didn't matter who it was. Somebody at the store, at the restaurant, the waiter brings you something to drink. He's thank you, doo-doo head. I mean, that's what he would do. Elders in the church. I mean, and Steve, if you know Steve, Steve is like the most put-together Christian gentleman and father the world has ever known. So it just flew all over Steve every time his little boy called people doo-doo head. He disciplined little Nolan. He did everything he could to get Nolan to settle down. And, and I, I remember one Sunday morning, we were, I was at church. I was the first person at church. Pastor Steve was right in right after me. This was when I was a youth pastor. Steve was the children's pastor of the same church. He comes walking in with Nolan, little Nolan in tow. And Pastor Steve, being the perfect dad, being an example, he says, looks in my office, he says, good morning, Pastor Jerry. 
And he looks over to Nolan for Nolan to do the same, and Nolan goes, good morning. Steve walked off, and Nolan followed him, and then Nolan took two steps back and said, doo-doo head. <laughs> Steve said, Nolan! <laughs> Nolan took off running, you know, <laughs> and, and there it goes again. It's natural. It's inborn to just say what you want to say, to just not think before you speak. But if you're not intentional about your words, you'll be careless, and those words will damage people. Members of your family, the people that you love the most, Actually, medical research, scientific data proves that hurtful words, your brain processes hurtful words the same way your brain processes physical injury. So it's really scientifically proven that words do harm at least as much as sticks and stones. And and the Bible says as a person thinks in his heart, he becomes. So when you plant seeds, see, think about it like this. When you say something negative to a family member, You're planting a seed that will grow them into who they're going to become. That was a profound thought. Think about it for a minute. When you say something negative to someone you love, you're planting a seed inside of them that will grow them into who they'll become. So make sure you're planting good seeds. Don't ever speak poorly of your spouse to their face or behind their back. Don't call them, you know, my vindictive wife or my idiot husband or, you know, my mean kids or stuff like that that you might mean as a joke, but it's, it's powerful words even if they're spoken in jest. So make your communication as positive as you can. Think about how many times, if you're a parent, how many times you have to speak negative or corrective words to your kids. Pick your shoes up. I'm tired of telling you. Don't you take that tone with me, young lady. Words like that that you have to. I'm tired of telling you. Make sure you do this. Didn't forget that. Take out the trash. It's the fifth time I've told you. You have to say that many negative things. Then focus all the rest as positive as you can, even if you have to search for it, you know? But like me with my little seven-year-old, oh, good job, Bryant. Good job. Most of the pee went in the toilet. Yay! <laughs> Let's get a towel and get the rest off the wall now, you know. You, sometimes you have to look for it. But if you could focus on the good, you could be an encourager. Now, if you're waiting on your kids to encourage you, let me tell you, it's going to be a long wait. They don't have the emotional IQ or the emotional vocabulary, especially when they're young. So they say things like, I hate you. I know some parents will just freak all out about a little kid, tell them, they, hey, that's because that kid doesn't have the emotional IQ to say, hey, I didn't get enough sleep last night. I haven't eaten in a while. I'm a pretty selfish human being at this point in my life. You're not giving me everything I want. So instead of saying all those things, I'm just going to tell you I hate you. That's what kids do, okay? Don't take it personally. Let kids be kids and let adults be adults. Can I hear an amen to that? So be as positive as you can. Make sure that you're speaking words of life. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 12 and 35, a good person produces good words from a good heart. And an evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. Why don't you choose to speak life? Say those two words with me, church. Say, speak life. Say it again. Speak life. Life. Actually, the Bible tells us that your tongue is more powerful. It, it's like a rudder of a ship. It sets the whole direction of the ship. Why don't you use your tongue to put your family in a different direction, to put your relationships, your marriage, your kids, your parents, your friendships in the right direction? Actually, instead of waiting on somebody to be what you want them to be, why don't you speak things that 
are not as though they were. Did you know that Bible says you can do that? That that becomes a prophetic faith move. When you look at your spouse and say, you're a man of God, when you don't necessarily see that, or even maybe you don't feel that, you can speak it in faith and you're prophesying over that husband. When you speak to your kids and you say you're a wise person and you're going somewhere, you're prophesying into their life. So if you want to build a stronger family, start with your mouth and encourage them with the words you say. Now, encourage me and say, that was right, preacher. All right, number two, write this down. Set higher standards. You want to build a great family? Don't lower your standards. Build higher standards for your family. You don't have to be a a pastor to look around and see, man, the standards are, are getting lower and lower in our culture. Here's what I believe. If you want what everybody else has, do what everybody else does. But if you want what nobody has, you got to do what nobody seems to be doing. Now, I don't want what everybody else has in their family. See, I don't want to live and parent, and I don't want to set the status quo as the standard for my parenting. This is to the parents out there. Because here's what I believe. If I just do what everybody else does, I don't think everybody's going to show up with my kids on drugs. And everybody's going to show up and help me with the teen pregnancy issue, right? That's not going to happen. I'm going to be on my own. So you know what? I want to set a standard that is higher, that is godly, and it begins in the home, right? It starts right there. How high is your standard of integrity in your home? You look around, you talk about how kids in school are cheating more. I saw a study where they're just cheating more than ever before. What, well, maybe some of that starts in the home. You know, phone call comes in, tell them I'm not here. Somebody knocks on the door, tell them your dad's not home. You know, you're going to the movies. Oh, just tell them that he's under 10. Lord knows he acts like a two-year-old anyway. Save us $4. But, but you know what happened is, is our, our culture is a fabric woven with thousands of tiny little fibs that has created a giant culture of lies. What I want to be is outside of that culture, and I want to have our own culture of righteousness. And you say, well, do those things that really matter to God? That seems kind of small and unimportant. Here's what the Bible says about that in 1 Chronicles 29 and 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart. So God's the one testing, and you're pleased with integrity. Everybody say, God is pleased with integrity. He likes that. In other words, he blesses that. I tell our staff this all the time. We can do without a lot of things here at this church. We don't have to have the most talented people. We don't have the most money. We don't have to be in the most populated city in the world to reach a lot of people. We can do without a lot of things. What we cannot survive without is the blessing of God. Say the same thing over your family. We've got to have God's blessing. We're not going to violate his principles. We're not going to go against God's word because the blessing of God is the most important thing we have in our lives. And and you know what? God wants us to have the best, and so he wouldn't withhold anything from us. Bible says this in Deuteronomy 6, God speaks and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart, impress them on your children. And look, he says, make it a habit everywhere you go. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road or when you lie down or when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, the Jews took that literally, and if you go uh, into Israel today and you see ultra-Orthodox Jews, you'll see them with boxes tied to their heads and their hands with scriptures on there. That's not what God meant at all. What God meant was with your head, every time you make a decision, think about what God wants you to do. 
What would God want? What would God's standards want you to do? And, and it's, as it relates to your hands, what he means is think about God's word and make sure what you do with your life, what you do with your hands, where your feet carry you and what your hands do. Make sure they represent God's word. If you want a stronger family, don't lower the bar. Raise the bar. I would never want to trade God's blessing for a lowered bar. Well, you know, I, I saw the preacher's family. The preacher's family's only doing so-and-so, so we'll do so-and-so as well. Let's, don't let me be your standard. Don't let anybody else be your standard. Let God's word be your standard. Then you get God's blessing. I remember my mom, when I was just a little kid, she used to say this. She said, Jerry, Jesus won't bless ugly. Is that clear? Does everybody know what that means? I mean, you don't have to go to seminary to know what that means. Like, if you're acting ugly, Jesus ain't going to bless that. And I believe I need his blessing more than I need anything else. If I cut a corner on money and I, 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 I have a little a white lie and a fib that helps me out in some way, it's not going to help me as much as the blessing of God is going to help me. So I'm going to encourage my family. I'm going to set high standards. And here's the last one. Focus on the good in your family. Always focus on the good. And you had to be intentional about this too. My little boy, Bryant, you know, he's such a big part of our family and, and uh, you know, he kind of commands a lot of attention. I, he wanted some money, so I let him last Saturday, a week from yesterday, help me on some home projects, so he made $10. Well, he knew the first dollar goes to the Lord's house because he's a tither. Now, I taught him the same way my dad taught me. Because I want my son, when he's making $100,000, it's going to be really easy because the first 10 he made, he gave a dollar. Then when he makes $100,000, it's going to be real simple for him to give $10,000. It's a whole lot easier when you start with 10 and 1. That's the way I started as a child. It was not hard for me to learn how to tithe. My dad taught me when I was a little kid, always been a tither. I want to do the same thing with my son. And he is, by the way, going to earn $100,000. I'm too old for him to live in my basement. He's going to start making money when he's 18 years old. Can I hear an amen? amen. Phew, praise Jesus. He's going to make some money. He's going to get out on his own, and he's going to learn how to be generous. That's what we're doing. That's really, I'm not quite that powerful. Just back that down a little bit. <laughs> Felt like I really should be saying something better when he came in like that. Um, so he says, okay, we're going to give that first 10. He said, dad, let's give two. Cause, and he loves orphans. Bryant says he's going to be a father to a hundred orphans when he grows up. He says, we'll give $2 and the church can help even more orphans. Now, here's the truth of that story. He needed $8 to buy V-Bucks for his video game. Now, had he needed $10, I don't in any way think he'd been super blessed about orphans in that moment. In fact, I, you know, I didn't even go there. I found something to celebrate. I bragged on him. I talked about it. I just bragged on how generous he was and how wonderful he is. And you know, dad, sometimes, because I know it's, it's in my nature to, you know, try to get him. Okay, you're this good. I want to make you even better. You, you raise it this high. Let's go to the next level. That's wonderful. But if you're not stopping every now and then and celebrating the wins with your children, you are, you're grinding them to a level that they can't perform. So if you want a stronger family, focus on what's good. And don't let your standards be set by your emotions. See, a lot of people are, are so up and down with their emotions, they're guided by their emotions. And if you set your standards high, let your emotions follow your standards. But most people are doing the exact opposite. However they feel is where they put their standard. I feel like I should be able to do this, and that's the standard. I feel like we ought to do that, and that becomes the standard. 
you can't do that. that that's never going to be right because your emotions cannot be trusted. Everybody in here who's older than, a, older than a minute old knows you can't trust your emotions. One day your emotions tell you this, the another day your emotions tell you something else. But you can trust God's Word. Let God's Word steer the ship of your family. Don't let your emotions steer the ship of your family. Don't believe the lie that your emotions will tell you. If you're a married person, you're going to hear lies like, well, you know, we just fell out of love. We don't have a spark anymore, you know? And every time I hear somebody tell me, I'm a pastor, I've heard that many times. Anytime somebody tells me that, I know the mistake they're making is they're letting their emotions guide them. There's something deeper than that. Your feelings should not be set by your emotions. You, you, your life shouldn't be set. You need to let your, your life be set by God's word and your emotions and your feelings will follow that. You wouldn't let a blindfolded child steer your car. That's the equivalent of letting your up and down unpredictable emotions guide your family and your life. So let's make up our mind. We're going to focus on love. After all, isn't that what God did for you? He decided to love you. That's how he, uh, that's how he built your family and you're a part of his family. He decided to love you even when you and I disappointed him. Haven't you disappointed God a couple times? He just said, I love you anyways. He didn't go, you know what? I've kind of fallen out of love with you. You're out of the family. He didn't go, you know what? Bob, the spark is gone. <laughs> you're out of here. He decided to love you anyways. He loves you right on through it. And, and if you think to yourself, well, I just can't get there. I just, it's too hard. There's no way I can get there. Look at this verse, this last verse. In 1 John 4, it says, we love because who? Because God first loved us. He is the source of all this love. I'm not the source of this love. My emotions, how I feel, the way my spouse is behaving, that's not the source of my love. He is the source of my love. And see, today's a day to invite him in or re-invite him in. I got to church this morning feeling very, I'm, I was nervous about today anyways because they're going to get up here and talk about me. And You know, a lot of churches do this every year. Pastor appreciates that. We used to do that here. And I, one day I realized I'm in charge. I hated that and I canceled it. We haven't done it in like 15 years. I got here today and I was nervous about the day and I distinctly heard the Lord tell me somebody needs an emotional family healing today. That's what God wants to do. Heal. Everybody say the word healing. God wants to heal families today. That's what the agenda is today, to heal families. And the source of it is not what somebody has done in the family or what somebody needs to do in the family. The source of that healing is the love of God. I'll tell you one more time. We love because he first loved us.